join me in prayer as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So wonderful to see you all here this morning. As we stated last week, the ninth chapter in the Gospel of Mark is really the turning point. That's what we've been walking through is the Gospel of Mark. Everything from here moving forward in this Gospel is focused on Jerusalem. It's focused on the suffering of Jesus and ultimately the cross. I know if you're online with us, you can't see, but we brought the cross up at the beginning of Lent this year because it's appropriate for us to continue to follow along in this gospel, Mark, for our Lenten journey this year and to have that be our focus. I know we work off various calendars. We have our Gregorian calendar. We have a school calendar. We have sports calendars, all these different sort of calendars that we live by. Well, there's a church calendar, too, and we mark a new season this Sunday. This is the first Sunday of Lent. We've moved from Epiphany, the season of lights, to Lent, the season focused on the suffering of Jesus. It comes from the old English word for lengthening, and that's sort of what we purposefully do in Lent. We sort of lengthen this experience because Lent is all about delayed gratification. That's the period of the church that we're in right now. We take take on less. We say no to more in order to stay focused on Jesus, to stay focused on his suffering and on the cross, so that when we gather seven weeks from now on Easter Sunday, we can truly celebrate and know that we've walked this journey the right way. So with that, we have the perfect text to guide us into our Lenten journey. I'd invite you to stand. Mark 9, verses 30 through 37. They went on from there and passed through Galilee, and Jesus did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him. And three days after being killed, he will rise again. But the disciples did not understand what he was saying, and they were afraid to ask him. They came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent, for on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. He sat down, he called the twelve, and he said to them, Whoever wants to be first must be last and a servant of all. So he took a little child and put it among them, and taking it in his arms, he said to them, Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes not me, but the one who sent me. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. So here, Jesus foretells his death to the disciples. And, and the disciples, is the, this is the group that we've been actively trying to identify with throughout this sermon series called Amazed and Afraid. And these disciples do not understand what Jesus is saying when he says this. And they're afraid to ask. And the response actually makes quite a bit of sense if we think about it. Up until this point, Jesus has been speaking mostly in coded language, if you think about it. He's been telling parables, which are indirect or double indirect moral stories and then he's been using other metaphors I think of him talking about the leaven of the Pharisees and what did the disciples think he was talking about a loaf of bread right 
They just didn't understand because it's been so much coded language up to this point. So they had become accustomed to try to understand the deeper meaning hidden in Jesus' words. So when he comes out and says this, the Son of Man, which was a common way for Jesus to refer to himself, is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and three days later, after being killed, he will rise again. I can imagine the disciples saying to themselves, okay, Jesus, so what you're really saying there is, right? When the reality is that Jesus is just speaking plainly in a way that he has not done during the Gospel of Mark so far. But it wasn't merely a lack of understanding or a search for deeper meaning on the part of the disciples that caused them to not get it here. There are other reasons for them to not grasp Jesus' meaning in these words. First of all, whatever they conceived of the Messiah and what the Messiah came on earth to do, this was not it. There was no room for the fate that Jesus is talking about and describing here in their minds. No Jew would have believed that if and when God were to send the Messiah, the Savior, that this Messiah would have to suffer, let alone die. The Messiah can't die, right? It's not what the Messiah is supposed to do. That never even crossed their mind. The Savior came to save, and how can the Savior save if the Savior is dead? So this was outside of their game plan, their mindset, their view so maybe that caused them to search for deeper meaning, going, well, it can't mean this, it must mean something else. I think we do that all the time. But there's a second reason, and it's more poignant, and that is they couldn't accept what Jesus was saying because of what it would mean for them personally. When we keep reading in this passage, we find out that on the very same road that Jesus is foretelling his death, what are they doing? They're arguing about who's the greatest among them as the disciples. They were concerned about their own status, what was in it for them. They seem to believe that just by answering the call to be a disciple of Jesus, it would enhance their own prestige and self-worth. More on that in a couple weeks. I don't want to dig in too deeply because we're going to dig in in a couple weeks on that. But Jesus jolts them out of this self-interested mindset by bringing a little child into their midst as a teaching aid. He does this a couple different times. Children in that society had no special privilege or status, but clearly God cares deeply for them, even if they've done nothing to deserve it. So that's the aid here. No, these disciples do not have any special privilege or status by being a follower of Jesus Christ. And they should not be wasting any more breath on arguments about who is the greatest among them. So if I can just condense this down for you. The disciples have a hard time really hearing Jesus in his words, foretelling his death, Because they don't have space for the idea that he would suffer as the Messiah. And they don't have space to think that they themselves would have to suffer and not be specially privileged by following him. My friends, do I even need to make a connection here between the disciples and us? How often do we do this? Have we ever been more like the disciples than we are in this very text? And this is what I need to address this morning. Like the disciples, we have a poor theology of suffering. We have a poor theology of suffering. We have a tough time embracing the suffering of Jesus. And most of us avoid our own suffering because we don't create space for those things, possibly being a part of what God might have for us. We're not very good at suffering, especially in the Western church. I did a funeral recently at a funeral home. It's not a family affiliated with this church or anything. They, they called and needed a pastor, and I was thankful to 
connect with this family. I was trying to get a sense of this elderly woman who had passed away. And so I was asking questions, and they were talking about what a wonderful mom and grandma and aunt she was. Lots of, like, inside jokes and holiday stories and, and dancing and joy and vacations, which was wonderful. But then I asked, what were some of the defining moments of her life? What were her struggles? What was the pain in her life? And the response was, oh, we don't want to focus on that. We don't want that to be part of the service. We want light, happy, laughter. We want people to come and just feel good and have good memories. That's what we want for the service. Now, I'm all about celebrating a life well. But for me, this was such an indication as I started to dig into this text of where so many of us are at and, and where I can go so quickly if I'm not careful in my own heart. I don't want to suffer. I don't want to deal with suffering. I don't want the people who I love to suffer. I don't want to face it. I would rather skip over it if at all possible. And I think most of you are the exact same way. We should just admit collectively that we have not cultivated a very mature understanding of suffering. But here's the thing. We cannot skip over suffering if we want to truly follow Jesus. It's not possible. Furthermore, this is really the perfect time for us to form a healthy understanding of what suffering is. It's nearly impossible for us to not be faced with suffering right now in our world. The whole entire world is on edge right now. I know you know the numbers. I just want to say it just to make sure that we don't numb ourselves out to this. Two and a half million people have died of COVID. Half a million Americans have died from this plague. Don't numb yourself out. Don't explain it away. This is just a tragedy, right? Add to that the, the families who suffer because of the loss of loved ones. And then you have others suffering on top of that because of this pandemic. Things like lost jobs and lost dreams and lost marriages and lost hope and lost security and lost finances and lost relationships. And this is not some natural disaster that's like in some far off little corner of the world where it's like, oh, it's really tough for them. We are all experiencing this global pandemic as a global people. Pastor John Tyson is one of the voices I listen to. He has said something consistently from the beginning of the pandemic, which just catches my breath every time. This has been the worst year ever. If you are focused on your own well-being and status and circumstances, and liberties, and freedom. But if you are a follower of Jesus, this year has literally been the opportunity of a lifetime. <laughs> there are generations of people who will never have the opportunity that we have right now. We have the opportunity for a Western church that consistently runs away and avoids suffering at all costs to face it, to see God's presence in the suffering and to allow him to mature us through that suffering. As Pete Cesaro so beautifully says it over and over again, we need to enter into a long apprenticeship with suffering so that we might become masters of it just as Jesus was a master at suffering. We have a once-in-a-century opportunity right now. We don't have to wait for suffering. We don't have to wonder when it's going to come. We don't have to manufacture it. It is at our doorstep. So are we really going to follow Jesus? Because there's never been a time 
that's better to do it in our entire lives. Many years ago, Katie and I uh, went to go watch her sister and her husband, our brother-in-law, compete in a um, half triathlon, uh, half-mile swim, 12-and-a-half-mile bike, 5K run. Uh, this will shock most of you just by looking at me. I'm not a world-class athlete. I know I look like it, but um, I have to admit, as I was sitting there and watching this uh, happen, I was kind of like, I could probably do this, right? Have you ever had this before? Like, you're watching it, and you go, I could do this. I'm a strong swimmer. I can bike forever. I'm not a good runner, but I can do fi- a 5K. That's not a big deal. I could do that. That's what I was thinking. And then when I congratulated my brother-in-law, he said, oh, thanks so much. You're doing it with me next time. But I declined, right? <laughs> and there's a lesson in that. It's easier to observe, and it's much harder to actually compete. There are millions of people in this country who call themselves Christians because they observe Jesus and admire Jesus. Who he was, how he taught, what he stood for, how he treated people. And they do not realize that Christianity is a call to follow Jesus, to participate. Jesus does not seek admirers and observers. He seeks followers. Just listen to the words of Jesus. Following him is no walk in the park. Go back to those red letters in your gospel. When Jesus foretells his death, he is saying to his disciples, let me be clear about what it means as we go toward, that, that, that following me means we go towards suffering. We do not run away from suffering. It's very clear in Mark's gospel and elsewhere that following Jesus requires suffering. However, if you go to the religion section in your bookstore, if you go to to religious podcasts, if you listen to modern preachers and and writers and self-help people, you would have a completely different understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. And that's a huge problem. So we got to dig some of that up this morning. I'm not here to rag on my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but we need to admit when we have strayed. There are millions of Americans, maybe you're one of them, who have been taught that you can call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and it will essentially cost you nothing. In fact, not only will it not really cost you anything, but your lives and your circumstances and your problems will get better if you simply ask Jesus into your lives and into your hearts. And then we have all too many leaders of large ministries, public leaders, who perpetuate this reality in the way that they live their lives. I've been heartbroken in the last several months to read about a couple of of prominent fellow ministers, brothers in Christ, who lost their reputations and their witness and ministry by believing that following Jesus didn't have to really cost them anything and they would just gain from it. From illicit affairs to $1,000 designer jeans to opulent vacations and manipulative power plays, these dear brothers forgot Jesus' initial call on their lives was to follow him. And because they forgot that they did huge harm to themselves and their families and their ministries and many people along the way, We as Christians are so prone to skip the hard parts and get to the good parts, the grace and the blessings. And and of course, those are essential parts of the gospel. But when we neglect suffering, when we seek to follow Jesus without any real cost, we get in a ton of trouble. So we have to ruthlessly tear down the pagan, unfaithful, dare I say, demonic notion that the journey of following Jesus is some inevitable march upward and to the right. We cannot lose sight of the fact that suffering and death are what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ because that's where he went. 
When we choose to follow Jesus, we sacrifice, we surrender, we yield. Just in the last chapter, Mark 8, Jesus says it himself. He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. So anyone who preaches a gospel of prosperity and health and wealth upward and to the right is by definition a false teacher because this is not the gospel of Jesus. This is not what Jesus says. So let's do as we've done this entire sermon series. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of these disciples at the beginning of our Lenten journey. Jesus turns to us and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to go be betrayed by people who claim to be my followers. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And I'm going to rise on the third day. Will you continue to follow me even here? We know that the disciples tried to interpret those words any other way than what Jesus actually said, right? And they squabbled over who is the greatest among them. Is that your response this morning? Here's my earnest response. And I'm going to invite you to join me in it because I'm going to need friends for the journey with me if I have any hope of fulfilling these promises in my own life. My response is fourfold. Four points here. The first is I want to embrace Jesus' suffering. I want to embrace Jesus' suffering. I don't want to skip over the parts of the gospel that uh, I don't like so I can get to the ones that I like and make me feel good. I don't want to do that. I don't want to rush to Easter Sunday. I want to embrace the fact that Jesus did indeed suffer and die. I I know for a lot of us that's not revolutionary anymore. We've heard it so much that it just sort of makes sense. We We know that Jesus had to suffer and die in order to be raised again. But I want you to actually stop and just think about it for a moment. Don't numb yourselves out to this. This is the God of the universe. This is the creator of everything we're talking about. The one who is all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present. The only human to ever live who never sinned. He was perfect. There had to be any other, any number of other ways for Jesus to live out his role of the Messiah, but he chose to suffer. And and if I gloss over this, I'm choosing a sanitized Jesus. And I'm missing it just as much as the disciples did. The, The only reason that Jesus would choose to suffer as a perfect human being, the God of the universe, is because he wanted to identify with the suffering of humans, my suffering, your suffering. So my second response is, I want to embrace my own suffering. Because Jesus entered into that suffering for me. Some of you are in the habit of of glossing over or, or avoiding your pain and suffering or the suffering of others. Don't do it. Don't do it. Be honest with yourself. Let yourself feel what you need to feel. I know I've told some of you this, but I saw a counselor a few years ago because of suffering that I was going through in my life. And after three sessions, he said, you know, Lars, I think I figured something out. You've forgotten how to feel so he said here's what I want you to do I want you to go to the library I want you to rent every single stupid tearjerker movie you can you can find and I want you to watch all of them right so that you can learn to feel again and I did I watched Coco with my daughter I mean come on right I cried like a baby I got in touch with my own suffering 
I stripped off the veneer. I got honest with myself. I embraced my own suffering so that I could then welcome God into that suffering. Don't gloss over it. Third is I want to suffer well. The reality is this. Pain and suffering have an incredible potential to catalyze growth and maturity in our character and in our faith. But it won't just happen. In fact, as a general rule, suffering will either make you or break you. It will deepen you or destroy you. It will refine you or it will burn you alive. One person is going to go through this pandemic and and all the upheaval in the world and what it means for you personally and come out on the other side deeply connected to God and humble and free and at peace and more empathetic and more mature than ever before. And then there are others who are going to come out of this season angry at God, bitter at the world, afraid, lost in depression, and, and, and maybe never regain his or her traction in life. There is a ton riding on how we suffer. So what makes the difference between suffering well and suffering poorly? Well, the difference is, are we dying to ourselves or are we living for ourselves? If we're living for ourselves, then our suffering and the suffering of others doesn't seem to make much sense. It it just doesn't fit, right? But if we're dying to ourselves, then we're living for Christ. We can suffer well because Jesus suffered well. Do you want to believe what, uh, do you want to know what most missiologists believe is the fastest growing church in the world right now? It's in Iran. A place where routinely Christians are arrested, thrown into jail, divested of, of property and wealth, imprisoned for years just for gathering in people's home for prayer and worship. It's maybe the most hostile, hostile place in the world right now for Christians but it's the place of greatest growth. Now, why would that be? It's because they're suffering well. It's because they're suffering well. They have no illusions that they can just observe and admire Jesus. They know they have to follow him with their very lives. I read an account this week of a pastor who visited the underground church in China and said that during their prayer times as they were crammed in this room together that they began to scream out to God, saying, God, take us to the most dangerous places. I want to suffer for you. God, spare me comfort. Do not send me to comfortable, good places. I want to follow you even to suffering. Now, doesn't that sound like the response that the disciples should have had to Jesus? When Jesus says, are you willing to follow me? They should have gone, yes. I don't want comfort. I want to suffer for you. What do they know in Iran and China that we don't know here in the Western church? It's that suffering is good soil. It's fertile ground for God to do what he needs to do in your life. When we suffer, it brings us closer to Jesus and it sows seeds of renewal in our lives. You've heard the phrase, necessity is the mother of invention. Well, for new and beautiful, real things to happen, There must be a need. When we suffer well, God does new things in our lives. Think of almost every great testimony that you've ever heard, right? Where does God do his best work? Where does transformation happen? Where does maturation happen? It's in our places of greatest need. It's in our suffering. It's in our pain. Last thing, fourth point. I want to pursue Jesus, not suffering. 
while we can be inspired by our brothers and sisters in the persecuted church of China or Iran or Iraq or Kazakhstan or Bhutan or North Korea or Eritrea or, or Nigeria, any, anywhere where we know these stories are happening, these, these brothers and sisters who are so willing to suffer, we need to be careful how we live out this theology here and now. We do not pursue suffering for suffering's sake. We pursue Jesus and we know that suffering will accompany him. If the disciples only focused on the cross, they never would have continued as far as they did with Jesus. But it was his presence, their pursuit of him, that kept them going. Part of the reason that we do not have a good theology of suffering is precisely because we don't treasure Jesus enough. We don't pursue him enough. How do we do that? We pursue Jesus first by listening to him. Go back to those red letters. Hopefully we, we listen a little better than the disciples did. You don't need to listen to everything I say or your favorite podcast or your study Bible or whatever. Just go to your scriptures and read the words of Jesus. Listen to him. Pursue what he is saying to you and monitor your response. And here's the miracle in all this response. Jesus can transform our suffering. Just as he took the cross which was an active symbol of death and suffering. It was the first century equivalent of the electric chair. He made it a symbol of life and grace and goodness and mercy. He can take the suffering that we face and make it a maturing, transformative blessing for us. Listen to these words from Paul. He says it better than I ever could in Philippians 3. Yet whatever gains I had, I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard those things as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death. If somehow I might attain the resurrection of the dead. My friends, here we are, beginning of Lent, and we're in the midst of a global pandemic. Is this the worst thing ever? Or is it quite literally the opportunity of a lifetime? Is Christ still speaking to his church? Our answer to that question depends on our willingness to truly follow him. Let's pray together. Lord, I submit to you, these friends of mine here, as we're gathered, would you teach each and every one of us what it means to suffer well? Might we join our brothers and sisters who we may never meet, who cry out to you and say, we don't want to go to the safe places. We don't want to put our security in our comforts. We're willing to suffer for you. We believe that you are in the sufferings. We don't want to avoid them. We want to know you deeper through them. We want to experience the good soil that suffering brings in us. 
so that you might mature us and grow us. Lord, I thank you that you are in the midst of our sufferings. And for anyone who is here today, anyone who hears these words, who is suffering actively right now, I pray that they might know that you are there. That you are the God who does not run away from suffering, but runs towards it. You are the God who runs to the very cross-section of, of this world and heaven, and that is suffering in the cross. Might they know your presence. Might you be doing a good work in their hearts and in their lives. And for a suffering world, Lord, would you plant the seeds of renewal and revival, Lord Jesus. Would you use this time to do something you couldn't do in the midst of our comforts? Would you teach us what it means, Lord, to not observe and admire, but to follow you? Pray these things in your name.